Welcome to the Wellness for Women show, where we talk about life, weight loss and everything in between. I'm Faye Caseman, founder of the AAA Way Life and Weight Loss Programme, and I'm here to help you put together the pieces of life and weight loss for one last time. This is an episode of the Wellness for Women show, filmed live in the free Facebook group. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Wellness for Women show. And today we have a very special guest. Marie Herbert is here to talk to us about, well, I'll let Marie explain herself in a moment. But Marie has made the transition from working in education to setting up her own business at the age of 49. This followed in the footsteps of a late ADHD diagnosis and now aged 52 years young, she is on her way to, to rediscovering the person that she always felt that she could and was meant to be and is also helping others on their journey and self-discovery process and progress even. So Marie, tell everybody listening a little bit more about you because it's always best if you can uh, hear it from, hear it from uh, you directly. So I was in education for about 25 years. I had about... I don't know. I haven't actually added all the jobs up. I think last time I tried to, I got I got to almost 30 jobs. When I actually went to the doctors about thinking I had ADHD, that was one of the bits of evidence I gave. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I had about 30 jobs. I've done about seven postgraduate qualifications, four or more, two handfuls probably of professional um, qualifications too. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, I got the diagnosis of ADHD following diagnosis of anxiety following mm-hmm. HRP perimenopause and when that when it was obvious that there was still something else um, not quite right and following actually because I worked in education as an English teacher as a SENCO as a dyslexia assessor mm-hmm. but in my role as a SENCO at school where I knew that they had challenges with children with ADHD I mm-hmm. went and got on some training for ADHD thinking it was just generic mm-hmm. and from the very first sentence it was actually Tony oh, forgotten his name Tony from the ADHD foundation delivering the training and from the first sentence which was the focus of the presentation was on ADHD and, and girls and from the very first sentence I knew he was talking about me and my jaw just dropped and I spent the whole day with my mouth wide open I had never I'd worked in special needs for well for most of my education career so you know 25 years plus and never never thought of myself as ADHD until Mm. that point it was and, and, and it was strange because and I think this is a pattern with people with ADHD you think that everybody else is the same as you Especially mm-hmm. when you're um, either, because there's three types of ADHD, the high, predominantly hyperactive, the predominantly inattentive, and the combination, which is me. Mm-hmm. And when you're the hyperactive, the people who are predominantly hyperactive, it's a lot more obvious. And those are the boys, typically, that get diagnosed early on in their lives. And the rest of us, men and women... Who, who have more inattentive symptoms are less likely to get diagnosed. And I've completely forgotten what I was saying. So this is an ADHD thing. What was I saying? I don't know what the point of that was. 
it's absolutely fine I understand that well as well we were just basically you just saying how you how you how you'd got your diagnosis and how you resonated with the with the training that you were having and identified and how you were how you're coming into uh, coming into yourself now and what it is that you yeah so so that yeah that whole thing about feeling so the experiences what I've come to realize is that my experience is shared by a lot of men and women who are late diagnosed or who are thinking or ADHD curious as I call it and people that are thinking they might be ADHD and wondering if they're going to do a diagnosis and that feeling on the periphery of life even when you're in the middle of, of it you know it's not because you haven't got friends it's not because you haven't got a job but something just doesn't match up and to feel that strange energy where you everything's just misaligned Mm-hmm. Um, that can be draining, emotionally draining, physically draining, stressful, mm-hmm. anxiety-inducing, which I think is why a lot of people end up getting diagnosed with anxiety before they get diagnosed with ADHD. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. happened to me is is fairly typical of a lot of adults who yeah. get diagnosed with ADHD. Yeah, I was I was just saying to Marie before we went live. I think again, I've forgotten whether it was before I hit the live button or after I hit the live button. That I know people who've been diagnosed in in adulthood. I know people who are going through and considering diagnosis, and so it certainly is quite quite prevalent. And I myself, I've had curiosity at times as to whether I I may or may not have ADHD or ADHD type symptoms. And one thing that through my own research is about again understanding that again it does present very differently in girls to boys typically sort of mm-hmm. girls daydreamers who sort of were staring out the window at school kind of scenario and of course like with any condition you've got the ability to start to mask some of those symptoms and find coping mechanisms along the way or believe that you have and so sometimes again that can mask a, a situation yeah. Well, you think you think that's what everybody's doing yeah it's, it came as a revelation to me when I realized that wasn't what everybody else was doing that can I don't know it's, it's kind of I don't know these sort of things I don't say that often really but you know especially as a teenager and at university it's almost like rehearsing situations rehearsing mm-hmm. what you're going to say in different situations having stop phrases that you use when you meet people when you see people and it's not unusual <laughs> do experience that because it's just that yeah social awkwardness you yeah you you misjudge situations you you say things without thinking you know yeah it's it's like you you just I don't know thinking back now I suppose it's like your brain's just going in overdrive all the time trying to anticipate other people and your own behaviors as well Maybe, maybe that's the thing that's so draining. But yeah, it's my passion is for helping women who can relate to my story, who feel that that they're never quite good enough. And also that untapped potential kind of, it's it's funny because you on the one hand, you feel like you're not quite good enough. But on the other hand, you feel like you've got loads to give mm-hmm. and loads of potential that you just can't, for some reason, it just doesn't happen for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's practical issues, like when I was in education and um, I would be involved in senior leadership meetings, I couldn't process information quickly enough to contribute mm-hmm. practical um, barriers that you experience. And when you don't realise 
Like now, if I was in that situation, I would ask for information about the meeting beforehand and have that caveat that I might need to contribute you know, half an hour later, which is typically how long it takes my brain to process information. But um, yeah, so working with women, but also helping schools to work with children because that's the, that's the way to make real changes. I think, you know, in society and children, I mean, I think with teachers, you can't expect all teachers to know everything about every single condition. Yeah, so just and, that, and I think almost it's almost like I want to take that pressure away from teachers. So rather than almost like I want to do the opposite to what you know we would expect. Yes, to have that insight about ADHD, but not to put you put yourself and all your staff under pressure to feel like everybody has to be an expert. Because at the end of the day, everybody with ADHD, each person with ADHD is individual anyway, yeah. and all that's really needed is that acceptance and that understanding that somebody else can experience the world in a completely different way to you and that doesn't make it wrong even when they're a child it doesn't mean it's not true and you don't have to understand it you just have to accept it and work with that child so that they feel safe enough to emotionally safe enough to communicate their challenges and to work together to find the solutions. Quite often children know what they find difficult and they know what the solutions could be if they're given that opportunity. So that's my mission, that's my general mission to help helping schools to, to make, really not only to have children have the chance to not have that sense of low self-worth, low self-esteem, that comes with always striving to be different to how you are. I think that's the main thing. It's, it's trying to advocate so that children feel that they are valued and more than good enough just as they are. You know, that, and that's all children, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think that's just something that's particularly important with children with ADHD. And what I find in my coaching is, you know, that, that narrative can be flipped quite quickly because yeah, they're yeah. used to teen teenagers that I work with are used to thinking about all the things that they're doing wrong and all the things that they find difficult. And when you flip that to pointing out their strength and and saying that, you know, certain things, so what if if you find, you know, that you have to do something a certain way, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean it just means you're different. It doesn't mean you're wrong. And it's quite it's astounding. I still find it astounding how quickly that turns things around for the teenage boys predominantly that I've worked with like after three or four mm -hmm. sessions to to take that on board and the, and the narratives flip really quickly I think there's probably something to do with not wanting to be different as well and so not really wanting to have support from somebody because of their ADHD but mm -hmm. um, you know it's not it's not the end of of their journey but at that stage at that teenage stage it's just so valuable to for them to hear somebody else that's not the parents who they expect to say all the right things that mm -hmm. you know that points out their values their their, their skills skill set and their strengths so it's a privilege to be able to do that I, lo I love my job I love um, being able to work with people and and just yeah just helping them it's just kind of permission giving and I've experienced that as well you know in my my journey 
having that permission to be you is just so valuable and mm. makes has such an impact yeah i think that is and I, I think it's a very valuable work that you that you're doing and i think you're absolutely right going in at, at an early age and there isn't typically a lot of support as i understand it for for the schools for the school age children and i think a lot can then also be put on to the parents and the parents aren't necessarily always given the support and or may even have difficulties themselves and so then I imagine that can be then a compounding a compounding situation as well yeah it's yeah I do I do feel for parents and ever ever more increasingly so I when I work with a teen I I I manage to steer the support that I give towards the parents mm-hmm. as well because there's that whole thing about not being able to feel for a minute but Mm-hmm. And yes, sometimes parents might have undiagnosed ADHD themselves, but there's the yeah, there's the the challenge of supporting a child who does have differences which may not be fully accommodated or celebrated in different settings. You know, mm-hmm. might make them stand out, might make things difficult socially for them, might make parents respond in a certain way to you as a family might make teachers respond in a certain way Mm -hmm. so there's there are extra level extra challenges Mm -hmm. for parents and yeah and I I think for the children that have ADHD and autism combined that's Mm -hmm. even more so you know it does feel like those parents are often fighting the system Yeah. Um, yeah it's it's hard to get the support that their children need and it's also long-winded everything's everything's a battle everything has to be evidenced everything has to take time I used to be a dyslexia assessor and and as well and and as a school senko and and it's like you have to allow a child almost allow a child to fail it feels like until the support Mm -hmm. can then be put in because you've got the evidence that they need it Mm -hmm. which doesn't seem you know she just doesn't seem right but Mm. But at least, at least there are people like yourself in the world who are there, obviously, to try and to, to try and advocate and step into the bridge and 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 pick up where perhaps sometimes the system system doesn't work to, to to help people. And I think you're absolutely right in what you said earlier as well about that individuality, because I think that's sometimes the difficulty that we have in schools, just just generally, without uh, getting too much into the school system side of it, I guess that. You know, I can imagine you, you were a teacher with thirty odd kids in there. You know, you try, you're trying to, to to do your you're trying to do your best by everybody, but you've got thirty individuals there. And yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. And sometimes, genu- generally, kids aren't given that ability to yeah um, be individual in those kind of settings. Let alone if you yeah. are. Well, I yeah. Well, I and there'll be teachers like me who have ADHD. Mm-hmm. and you know I came out of the education system I you know take my hat off to teachers I I literally couldn't do it I had like you know very um th- there are there are classes that I can remember that I absolutely love teaching mm-hmm. uh, but it, it yeah when you've got split classes when you start teaching a class and they're in year 10 and you haven't known them from year mm-hmm. seven you know, it's a whole different ball game. And then as somebody with ADHD, you know, you're focusing on the behaviour in front of you, you're focusing on the teaching, you're focusing on the practical issues like, you know, sorting out the technology, 
there's so much multitasking that you have to do plus Mm -hmm. your own thoughts that might suddenly veer off into a random direction and you start talking to the kids about something completely unrelated and then realize and then stop and you know it's I, I would like to support teachers as well who have neurodivergence or, or, you know, can relate to those challenges. It is, you know, it's this, the education system hasn't really changed, has it? That whole no. concept of one teacher, 30 kids, how long have we had that for? Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, yeah. And, and I think, yeah, I think, the te- but I think there's a lot of sectors out there that are definitely crying out for help and, and teaching. Teaching is definitely one of them at times. And again, this is the beauty of this this show for me is that this is about wellness for women but you know predominantly as I was, again I was explaining to to Marie before she joined that predominantly I talk about food food freedom and intuitive eating but but what's more important to me is that there is a human being behind all of the food so when we were you know working on diets all over the years you know it was purely just focusing on the food what we what we how we move whereas actually it's about how do we go together as a human being and so if you if if you are somebody who is looking to work on their relationship with food and you've got ADHD or ADD then you you might also find that 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 your your path and how you connect with food could be different as well and so it's it's yeah so it's one of those toxin in all areas isn't it really yeah well you've got the dopamine hunting you know that can be one form of well you have sort of self-medication in response to undiagnosed adhd which you know can be uh, any addictive behaviors and and food is one of them alcohol Mm -hmm. is one of them um and then you've got the you can have challenges with with so some people have sensory challenges so that can affect your food and then you can have the whole thing the overwhelm so you know I'd be quite happy to eat the same thing four days on the on a trot <laughs> but but my children are not so impressed with that <laughs> concept but it doesn't bother me and I like that because a it's let it's easier um it just doesn't bother me eating the same thing over and over again just doesn't bother me whereas it does bother them mm-hmm. uh, and it would probably bother a lot of people and then yeah the the trying something new and and eating it to death for mm-hmm. um a period of time and then never going near it again so sweet potato i can't eat i can't even smell i i fed that to and ate it myself when children were very small as like an early food just yeah. makes me heave now but cook it would just make me heave two is another one i ate that for a while and then stopped i haven't eaten it for years now um i've even seen any in the shops recently to be fair not 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 not, uh, not adverse to a too but yeah. yeah so yeah there's just little behaviors like that and certain foods yeah texture so certain foods i can't eat raw i have to eat them soft <laughs> it's quite childlike i think actually I was talking to somebody recently about my eating habit and yeah, quite childlike. Mm. I think I haven't really moved on. I I do eat more than I did as a child. I was a very fussy eater, but um, peas, peas have got like huge, like one pea would taste so strong to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, I think this is where, again, our, our worlds in a way can combine, isn't it? Because for, for me, it's about knowing knowing yourself knowing yourself well and then looking to see where you know how that all fits together and I think that's 
possibly similar to, to to how you would perhaps work with people as well and and then obviously getting them to to, to accept and celebrate themselves in that as well you know because your eating habits are, are absolutely perfectly fine but but it's, it, there's but if there's things that people want to change then obviously it's about exploring that but with love and curiosity you know that's again my yeah. my important message is not beating yourself up you know so but just again no, knowing yourself well but again this is where if um you did have somebody who was trying to do a or follow a particular diet and it had all the foods that you didn't like it was the Mange two and sweet potato diet. So you know, and so so it's about being able to build your own build your own system, really. But but yeah, and so just just going going back to you, I, I took over a bit with the with with the food stories a bit. But uh, where that me and Marie met is that it's belief coding. So we're we're both in the belief coding community. And so I know that Marie, you've had a lot of a lot of success using belief coding for for yourself yeah. and clients, I believe. So tell us a little yeah. bit more about that. So that's been a real deal breaker for me, the belief coding. I signed up in August and the shifts have been fast and furious. So working on self-love really is what it comes down to, self-acceptance, self-belief. Mm-hmm. Um all the different layers of the onion that that involves and I've got I've I've, I wouldn't say I've got there completely because I think it's a lifelong uh, learning process and um but yeah I've I it it wasn't that long ago that to to spend time on my own was um, an idea that just you know I knew I should like spend time on my own but I had no desire to It, it you know what why would I want to what what joy would that bring me I, I could spend time on my own to um recover from just exhaustion but it, that was like a negative spending time myself in, in a negative way kind of but to spend time myself in a positive way that's a really recent um breakthrough for me yeah. So when you're yeah. self-facilitating and sort of spending time with yourself, self-facilitating, you mean? No, just or just you? on my own, just generally, you know, yeah. to spend time with myself, go out and, spend, and have the. I had a day at the beach recently on my own, and absolutely loved it. And yeah. I just wouldn't have done that before. Mm. I just wouldn't have, you know, I I, I just wouldn't have. Um, you know, it's a, a combination of giving myself permission to do that take time out of all the other things I could have been doing for other people or for work or the house or whatever but also just having that time alone and, and enjoying it is mm. a completely new revelation to me and actually I was just communicating with somebody with ADHD on social media today and it was a man and and they were saying about that journey to self-love self-acceptance self-belief and how huge that is because I guess you just when you have ADHD and probably if it's diagnosed even if it's diagnosed you but definitely if it's not diagnosed you just spend your whole time feeling on the periphery on the outside you just don't feel like you belong somehow and so that self-love is kind of like you do belong suddenly you belong to yourself and it brings a calmness into your life. It's it takes away that sort of frantic element, that searching, that unsettled, that 
hypervigilance, you, you're safe in yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, that's just calm me right down. Mm-hmm. Then that frees up. So part of ADHD is the emotional regulation. It, it is the what's known as rejection sensitivity dysphoria. I don't know if you've heard of that. And mm-hmm. that's like that's that's like I describe it like when you get on a, a roller coaster and you're sitting and you're waiting for the barriers to come down. Once those barriers come down, you're on that roller coaster and it's an emotional it's an emotional journey and you can't get off it and it just it just feeds itself and it becomes more and more intense and nobody can really interrupt it. It kind of has to see itself through to the end and it can be quite an exhausting process. And when it's finished, you kind of think, Oh my gosh, what what just happened? Did I just like it's like you've been taken over by an alien and you're sorry and you shouldn't have said that and you shouldn't have done this. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you have that moment before the barrier comes down to to get off the ride if you if you're if you acknowledge it. But with that self self-worth, that feeling of self-worth and self-acceptance, my rejection sensitive dysphoria has RSD is easier to say, has just calmed right down. Mm-hmm. The you know ADHD ADHD symptoms don't disappear, but they become easier to manage when you've got that headspace, that emotional yeah. space to see things in a calmer way. Mm-hmm. So it it does just take away the belief coding has just taken away. I don't know if taken away or added to my toolbox really with. It's taken away some of the noise, mm-hmm. I think is the best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, the symptoms are all still there. The procrastination, the disorganisation, the um, thinking of lots of things all at the same time. But it's hard to actually say that now without feeling positive about it. I've had a really ADHD day today. And yeah, I haven't got loads done, but I have been hyper-focused and concentrating and and loving what I'm doing and uh, really enthusiastic about it and I have made progress I'm planning retreats that will involve belief coding for people with ADHD and and various other activities that will holistic healing experiences that will come into it so I've just loved planning that and thinking about it and problem solving and that that is where that those are the strengths of of ADHD, I think. But yeah, I'm just I can see the progress I've made. I I feel happier in myself than I have done, you know, ever really. Because yeah. you know, as a child, as a teen, as a young adult, as a mom, mm-hmm. I've always felt not good enough. Yeah, and now. Not that I'm perfect. It's not that everything's in place, but that's okay. That's the difference. Yeah, it doesn't. doesn't... Yeah, it's accepting that life isn't perfect. Actually, sometimes as well, I think it's half of it. I I always think that it's the it's our it's the difference between our expectation versus reality that creates the suffering. And so, you know, sometimes we expect a lot of ourselves more than we should. Just generally, Mm -hmm. I think as human beings, and sometimes when you can accept the messy and accept that life is messy and that perhaps you will, like like you say, met, never be free of the symptoms of um, ADHD, or you, you know you might always have to work on your relationship with food, whatever it might be. Um, but just kind of it, and, and 
acceptance is a funny word. I appreciate that. I have a discussion with one of my accountability buddies about acceptance, but it's kind of acceptance in the sense of that self-love piece of, I, you know, I, I, I accept myself and my journey. It doesn't mean that you can't attempt to do something about oh, it. Yeah. No, but, yeah. but it's, it's, it's just sort of, again, just, just kind of relaxing into the process. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really. definitely. Yeah, sort of witnessing, really, and being yeah. curious about yourself and, mm. and the process and, and life and your experience of it. Yeah. I thought something else then, but it's completely gone on my head. It's all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, and one of the but what one of the things again that resonated with me and your story there is actually it's a very similar story to mine. I never felt like I fitted in and all, all through all through this and I literally said it to my daughter <laughs> the other day. <laughs> I was just like, I never fit in anywhere. <laughs> You know, it's one of those things where I sort of had, I had, I had friends th throughout the years and and mm. different, different, different groupings. But like you, like you said, always sort of feeling on the, on the periphery somewhere and kind of almost like in a bit of a daze and a haze and not really knowing what I'm doing and where I'm going and just kind of like rolling from one thing to the the, the next. And it was yeah. me, me coming into coaching and now into belief coding that, and again, same as you, you know, finding that self that self-love that's just changed everything for me I used to be so worried about what people think and I used to be very much a, a perfectionist and I still have tendencies that way I still want to do a good job but it but it's not it used to eat me you know like yeah. probably eat me sleepless nights and everything whereas now yeah. you know so even doing the show coming on doing messy in, in front of attention yeah. you know however yeah. many people ever w watch this show you know this is not yeah. something I would have done 10 years ago and it's through having yeah. tools like these that it can really make make a huge difference to us isn't it yeah. so and I think to find them in to find them any time of life but to find them in midlife I, again I don't know about you so I'm I'm 45 years young and so I was kind of 40 when I sort of, sort of found out about this incredible thing called life coaching that you know, kind of changed my life but I think that it is it is this time of life as well where we, we do start to reevaluate what's what's happening, isn't it? As well, you know, and and you know, do we want to do we want to stay the same for the next half of life, effectively? Yeah, um, definitely having that reevaluation. And two things just came to mind then as you were talking. One is that that bit about never being that imposter syndrome that sounded like what you were describing, like never good enough. And it doesn't matter what people say around you. People can say that you're amazing, that you're brilliant, that you, you know, and it means nothing. It just doesn't touch you because you, if you don't believe it yourself, yeah, you just think you've tricked them or they're lying or they're just being kind. So I'm glad to be rid of that. Now, if people say something nice to me, I graciously accept and believe it and the other thing that came to mind as well about that when you're on the periphery and you're coping and you're trying to fit in that masking mm -hmm. which children do so well and then a lot of them at school and then they have the meltdowns at home because it has to come out somewhere and so then there's that um contrast between home and school and, and school make the assumption then that it's to do with the parenting because the kids feel safe enough to have that meltdown at home and the school think all oh, the child's fine here you know it's obviously down to you I've just gone off on a different but one, one thing I was going to say is that um like as a teen in particular college and uni that masking it was almost literal I almost like 
you know, I would prepare my face before I walked in a room in terms of fixing the smile mm. and knowing what I was going to say and how I was going to handle if, you know, people didn't or I felt I didn't feel welcome by people mm. and, you know, pretending that that was fine and I had something else to do anyway. And mm-hmm. so there's all these rehearsed ways of behaving that, you know, kids will be doing now every day at school at college at uni and people look at them and think they're completely fine yeah and they'll have no idea of what's going on inside mm. and I, and i think that's you know that's something that it would be good if people could understand that because people look okay on the outside it doesn't mean they're not suffering and finding things difficult on the inside yeah yeah and i think uh, i'd like to think that things have changed um, a bit more now i feel like we're being a little bit more open about our struggles and you know th- things like one of the the comments that we've got is about watching watching tiktok and i certainly see a lot of people in my tiktok feed with adhd and and talking about adhd and and you know what they go through what they do all those kind of things and and so it, it does it helps to have that dialogue out there I think for again all, all sorts of you know all, all sorts of um differences that, that that people might have and it's nice to see that you know we can um like I say a bit more open I think about things. And, uh, it's it's funny though because um people see things on TikTok they resonate with it it describes them but then they often fear that others will judge them but, you know, and assume that they've gained their knowledge from TikTok, which may or may not be the case, mm-hmm. and that therefore that devalues. Obviously, you can't get a diagnosis through TikTok or, not or yet. coaching. Not or, <laughs> but, it, but, you know, why not have that awareness raised? It doesn't make it, you know, why not have the, the information that's going to make you question and understand yourself? And I don't think, people would resonate with stuff unless it actually was true for them I was asked last night I was doing an interview and I was asked if I would relinquish ADHD if I had the choice and I wouldn't but I don't think it's something you choose (laughs) so it is me now and I and I appreciate the the opportunities and the and the people call them superpowers I wouldn't say that but you know I like the way my brain works now you know but I don't if it didn't work that way I don't think I would choose to identify as ADHD I don't know what the advantage in that would be for people but people still think that others you know or they've especially I don't know parents are often judged as you know I don't yeah I don't want to I want to alienate people but yeah they, I, th- I think my personal opinion is that TikTok is a useful tool I think yeah, yeah, my view with anything social media is this that you've got to look at anything that you see on social media with discernment isn't it really yeah. you know there's yeah. goods and bads in 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 all things in life and some of it's for good and some of it won't 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 end up being won't end up being for good I guess isn't it but I don't think that to me that brings awareness and a and allows somebody to 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 
like you like we said earlier grow explore something with curiosity with love that helps them find a, a meaning a purpose a connection you know all of those things and it's then it's definitely it's definitely all, all good in my book in in that sense and it's in, and like I say sometimes people just just want to be want to be seen and heard isn't it and if that's through a total stranger as well you know that you're then resonating with and then that that could be a moment of connection that 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 person wouldn't get in that day so and it's just that oh my goodness it's not just me kind of yeah thing. yeah you know, that's that's really powerful and I can't see how that's a bad thing in any way shape or form yeah. you know whether so there's that there's this the dialogue about the narrative about people getting frustrated because when people say oh everybody's a bit ADHD or, or whatever but the thing is you know I do think people can relate to different different people can relate to different ADHD symptoms I guess it's the collect what makes somebody have a diagnosis of ADHD is the whole package so the whole range of traits but also the impact it has yeah yeah you know if you're losing things and it's just a bit annoying but if you're losing things and forgetting things and it makes you feel like it's the end of the world because it's so overwhelming then that there's a difference yeah, and it is it is the the, the level of impact, isn't it? Yeah. And again, as with as with autism and and any of on on any spectrum. Yeah. Any neurodivergence. Yeah. <laughs> neurodivergence. Yeah. Yeah. Any neurodivergence. Yeah. It is yeah. all on the spectrum, isn't it? You know, from mm. from from one extremes to 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 another, and but again, this is where again identifying ourselves uniquely and what what we're going through, with or without a diagnosis it's still mm -hmm. about understanding yourself isn't it and, and and how and how whatever it is whether it is the, an actual adhd diagnosis or you've got some traits of adhd or you're adhd curious like you say it's still about how you how you relate to yourself and yeah. the work that you then do on your on yourself i would say, I would say the people that i work with probably 25 percent are diagnosed probably another 25 percent are pursuing the diagnosis mm -hmm. and the rest are either sort of self-identified or or adhd curious yeah yeah but you don't need a diagnosis to for it to be worthwhile getting getting support and because it is just about finding yourself it is just about understanding yourself and mm -hmm. finding what works for you mm-hmm yeah 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 i love that so i'm conscious of time i could uh come on these interviews and talk forever and then i realized that I, normally i try and keep my episodes to about half an hour and we've all right okay. more of your time so is there any any last pearls of wisdom that you want to <laughs> share with been any <laughs> if, if they are feeling like they well let's for argument's sake say then say i'm i'm adhd curious you know what would what would you advise somebody to next step or first step to be ADHD curious I don't know I did I just feed <laughs> off the sort of situation really I guess talking to somebody who does understand if you, it depends really on on what you want to do do you want to do you want to ascertain whether you have got ADHD then it's a case of having a conversation with somebody that's got that awareness and that level of understanding there's lots of questionnaires which is what I did as my first step online and so I looked at a questionnaire there are about 40 different examples of how ADHD might be present and I picked every single box and then I took that 
the doctors. So that was my first, that was my first step because I wanted a diagnosis because I felt like I couldn't cope anymore and I felt like something needed to change. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, having that diagnosis was important sort of confirmation and validation. Not everybody needs it. Some people are quite happy just with gathering that kind of understanding. But, yeah, come for coaching or belief coding. (laughs) Yeah, help you help you on your journey that's what that's what my advice would be yeah no worries at all okay well we'll wrap it up um for anybody who is curious to find out more about marie so if you're watching live or one of the replays on facebook or so in the group on my page or profile then i'll get marie to to drop her details underneath and when this goes live on the podcast marie i'll, I'll put marie's website on there so make sure that you check out the description box and other than that if you have got any questions for myself or marie then leave it under one of the videos and we will respond to you accordingly won't we yeah definitely okay thank you so much for being here and on the show and we will love you and leave you all this week and bye for now bye thanks for listening and don't forget if you want to boost your life and weight loss the triple a way check out the relevant links for today's show in the description speak soon